When I woke up on Thursday morning this week, I was overjoyed to see that thin line of light sneaking in around my curtains. After the day of orange nighttime that preceded it, I was relieved. And I was shaken from the seemingly reliable adage that the sun always rises. Maybe it does, but what if we can't see it? My reaction felt complicated. Grief at the state of the whole of the West Coast and also gratitude for a bit of respite grounded in this most basic thing of the sun becoming apparent again. I wondered what form hope might take right now. As I sat with this stew of feelings, I thought of a new book that I'd just finished about one woman's experience as a parent. Heather's first child was tiny when she was born, though she was not premature. The early months of her life rolled by and worry mounted as they struggled with feeding and as Fiona, their daughter, did not gain much weight. There were more health concerns and more adults who were totally perplexed, more scares, until finally doctors had an answer. They discovered that Fiona had a chromosomal deletion, uh, just a little bit of genetic material that was not present in her cells, and whose absence carried a collection of common traits, though the, the syndrome itself was exceedingly rare. It was hard to know what to expect, what to hope for. Heather read everything she could find and connected with other parents of children with this chromosomal deletion. She learned that it was a real possibility that her daughter would not learn to walk or talk or feed herself. She learned that people with this syndrome are often passionate music lovers with wonderful senses of humor. She learned that one in three of these babies die before they turn two. What Heather heard again and again from these fellow parents further down this road was that your children will teach you not to take the little things for granted. The sun rose again this morning. I even saw it, even through the lingering smoky haze. How do we hope? Can we recognize the gift as we receive it and carry it forward? I think that's the overarching question that Jesus raises today. He's unflinching in speaking to the heart of the struggle in our, 
incredible, tender, fallible humanness. Here, God says, here is everything you need, more than you can ask or imagine. Yes, this is mine, we reply, all too often. Let me figure out how to hold on to it, how to keep it safe in my own two fists. Jesus has just finished teaching that no one is expendable, that every last member of the body belongs and is necessary, worth searching out even at great cost. In response, Peter asks essentially how he might limit this abundant grace. He wants to know when he can hold on to the grace he's received without passing it on. He wants a number, a place where he can comfortably stop. I can almost hear Jesus sounding the buzzer. Your question is broken, he seems to say. Peter wants to check a box on forgiveness, on his generosity with this grace. But Jesus responds that Peter is to be generous countless times. We hear it as 77 times, but the Greek can just as well be translated as 70 times seven times. Which is to say, stop counting. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, he says, and he shows them in a parable. It cuts deep, at least for me, I think because it is real. The servant has received an astronomical gift in the forgiveness of his debt. One talent was equal to roughly 130 pounds of silver. It would take a laborer about 15 years to earn that much. And so this means that the servant owed the king 150,000 years of work. It is unfathomable. And by comparison, a denarius was worth about a day's wage. So the second servant owed the first about 100 days of labor. It is still a lot, and it is on an entirely different scale. I don't have an easy answer for the torment that follows, but, but I wonder if it is more descriptive than prescriptive. As in, it's not that God will inflict pain on you for making the wrong choice. I don't think... That's how our God of love operates. But rather, when we live as barriers to grace, rather than carriers of it, we end up trapped in a prison of our own making. One theologian, David Lowe's, summed up the brokenness in the parable this way. He writes... The failure of the first servant isn't simply that he won't forgive his comrade, but that he has just experienced an utterly unexpected, completely beyond his wildest dreams, life-changing moment of grace 
and seems absolutely untouched by it. And for this reason, he lives devoid of any sense of gratitude. His whole life changed, and he didn't even notice. This generosity of grace, whether it comes as forgiveness or as some other kind of gift, it is an inherently generative force. It has the capacity to loosen the grip of the past, freeing us from debt or from revenge or from heartache. This generosity of grace makes a new thing possible. Where before there was only loss, it creates possibility. It is an act that says, even in this pain, there is another way. Here, join me in hope. In this parable, I see an invitation to this practice of actively recognizing the grace that has been given to us and then choosing to respond in hope. A hope that offers that grace again freely, never knowing fully what may come of it, and still trusting that it makes more possible. It's a way of life I saw so clearly through the example of Heather and her daughter Fiona as their shared life has unfolded. It has not been easy. Life has been full of joy and fear and exhaustion and wonder. Countless, truly countless hours with this wide range of therapists. Tough conversations with strangers and professionals alike who question the inherent value of Fiona's life. And so very much goodness, so much love in that shared life. Heather has returned to the lesson the other tr parents tried to impart when F Fiona was a baby. And she wonders, maybe, maybe instead of my daughter teaches me not to take the little things for granted, the saying might better go. My daughter teaches me that the things I'd considered quotidian are also miraculous. She recognizes the incalculable gift contained in this small child. Every milestone, every meal shared, every new word becomes miraculous. Heather's is a hope that is so active, so palpable, it is contagious. I felt it reforming me as she passed it on. The sun rose today, and I saw its glow, and I realized the gift. It is quotidian, and it is miraculous. At its core, I believe this troubling parable is about a way of generosity that forms the foundation, the, the springboard even, 
of a life of hope. And this hope is not just a wanting, a waiting, a a longing that is lodged in our hearts. It's far more active. It's a receiving and a responding. It is a recognizing of the grace that we have been given so abundantly, so freely, and then choosing to enact it ourselves, even a little bit even in our small corner of the cosmos. I don't offer this as as a way to gloss over all the pain and hardship that is swirling around us, ignoring the smoke that still hangs in the air, but as a way for us to respond to it all. Hope is... It's about building on our own gratitude for what has so wonderfully come beyond anything we could ask for and offering some of that gift to the next person, to the whole body. It's a practice of making new life possible together. Jesus asks us to let this abundant grace change us, to see the gift, and to see possibility. And then, finally, again and again, he calls us to act, to live out that hope. 